welcome to the sermon podcast of Trinity Church PCA in Collierville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, missioncollierville.org. I just want to take a minute to say, you know, um, I've been busy, you know, most of the summer, so I haven't got to worship here as much this summer as, um, as was available to me, but I'm really grateful for the people who have made this space available for us. I love the beauty. I've always been fascinated by church history and church architecture and um, because if you study it, it really, really speaks to the era from which it came and the devotion that the people had. Uh, but uh, I just uh, feel, feel blessed and, uh, and honored to be able to, to meet together here uh, because the church can meet anywhere. They're just, you know, some places are more conducive than others, but it's good to be here uh, this morning. I want to ask you a question. As as, uh, as Reed was um, going through our passage this morning, I, I, I wondered the question, and you don't have to raise your hands at all, but have you ever felt like a failure? Have you ever just felt like a failure? Have you ever felt like a failure as a Christian? You know, that you're just not living up to the standards that God would expect of you or other Christians expect of you. Or maybe do you, does your life not look like others seem to look? You know, others seem to have their uh, Christianity down to a perfection. And do you feel like you don't measure up to that at any time? Well, I thought about that as I pondered this passage and the one that Hunter led us through last week as we looked uh, on the mountain as, uh, as Jesus and his honored trio go together to, to have the uh, transfiguration and the mountaintop experience. Something that, you know, we've even coined a phrase, mountaintop experience, to describe those times when we have felt particularly close to God. And some people have spent many decades pursuing one mountaintop experience after another. But when you take both of these passages uh, together and you think about them, I think there's a, a completely different picture that is painted there. In fact, uh, there is a painting that's called that's uh, that was was done by uh, Raphael, a medieval painter, who painted. It's called the other side, and he depicts or interprets what's going on in this passage in in his painting that I that I believe hangs in uh, the Vatican's museum. And in the painting, he's got Jesus uh, suspended in the air, centered lifted up uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he has Elijah uh, on, on one side of him, and uh, he has uh, on the other side of him uh, Moses. And then down below there on, on the top of the mount, he has Peter, James, and John, who are shielding their eyes from the brilliance and the light. And then that's the first layer of his painting. The second layer of his painting, well, the second layer of his painting is the, is the, three, uh, the three disciples. The bottom layer of his 
of his painting. It's where we are in this passage today, and it's what's going on in the valley. What were the other nine disciples up to? While they were having their mountaintop experience there, we're not really told that they were given any specific instructions. We don't know what they were exactly up to, but obviously when they came back down the mountain, uh, there was chaos. Chaos all around, and I, I, you know you have to kind of think about this, and maybe Jesus didn't want his, uh, his, his uh, three disciples to, to feel like that uh, that was something that was going to be permanent up there on the mountain because uh, as they come back down, they find total chaos going on. And in the painting of, of Raphael's, he's got the disciples over on the left. Uh, some of them are pointing at Jesus. Of course, Scripture doesn't say that. Uh, but his interpretation is some are pointing to Jesus, some are pointing at each other. One uh, is over in the corner uh, furiously flipping through a book, which you know hadn't really been invented at the time uh, the disciples uh, were, uh, were on the earth, but... Uh, but, you know, it's, a, it's an interpretation. Uh, and I think what he's trying to say is they were looking for the right verse or the right, you know, because the Jewish, the Jewish tradition has uh, certain verses that apply to certain things. And, and then there's uh, on the, the right side of the painting there, uh, there's this crowd of people. And then, of course, the, the father with his son, whose eyes are rolled back in his head and his mouth flung open. And, you know, it's just total pandemic on the, the bottom layer there. And so, uh, and the depiction of this, this painting, I, I think in many ways he accurately captures the idea. You know, the mountaintop experiences, those things that we all like. I mean, we like to come to church and sing and to feel good, uh, or what would you say, get our good feels on for the week and, and you know, love the singing when it's good, love the sermon when it's good, love to get to see everybody, and then we go back out. And, uh, and actually we do, it's kind of an accurate picture because we do go back out into uh, a world that is filled with chaos of one form or another. So many of the experts think that was Raphael's greatest uh, piece of artistry. And... Uh, and as we think about the confusion that the disciples found themselves in the midst of, I had to, start, couldn't help but think, didn't they really feel like a bunch of failures? I mean, here back in Mark 6, they had been given the powers to cast out demons, and it had been, Jesus had sent them out in pairs to cast out demons. And, and you know, that must, have been a, that must have been a high feeling too, huh? You know, Jesus gives you special power and you can go, I mean, so yeah. So maybe, and we can just speculate because the scripture doesn't say, but you know, maybe they're down there at the base, they're down in the valley and people are coming and they're looking for this Jesus that they've heard about, the miracles that he's performed. He's raised people from the dead. He's driven out demons and here's this mom and dad. I can just picture a mom and dad who have a, a son that has been plagued <coughs> with an illness, and maybe, and maybe it was something, um, I don't think there's any reason to assume that it was, but it could be, have been something like 
epilepsy complicated by demon possession and who knows who knows what it was in would be called in today's terms of what we know but he wasn't right and whatever generation you're living in when things aren't right especially as a parent you are going to spend your time trying to make it right because there's a certain degree of us those of you who are parents, there's a certain degree that you kind of always feel like a failure. Am I good enough? Am I parenting good enough? Did I cause this thing? And in, certainly in, in their day, the, in the Jewish mindset, you know, the parents' sin brought this. You remember the disciples asked Jesus that one time uh, when they, they encountered a blind a blind man, they said, well, you know, Jesus, what, you know, what's the cause of this? Was it his, his sin? Was it his parents' sin? And Jesus said, none of that. It was so I could heal him right now. He was blind so that I could heal him. But here in, uh, here in this passage, think about the parents who come uh, as feeling as failures. They've probably tried everything available to them all of the doctors, all of the medicines. They've probably tried everything. They've, you know, heard about Jesus and they're coming. I can just imagine them being disappointed that, you know, Jesus is up on the mountain. He'll be back later, you know, and here's the disciples. Hey, just bring him over here. We'll try it. And more disappointment and more the feeling of failure. And I think... I think what uh, is, is portrayed in the passage and the problem that the disciples was having was that they were relying strictly on their own power. They were relying on the power. They were relying on what had happened before. They were relying on, and if, and if the artist has <coughs> that depiction correct, and I think maybe that he does, that, that there was one of them looking and trying to find what, what uh, verses to say, uh, trying to think about the, the Hebrew text and trying to think about the ceremonies. They had some, some elaborate ceremonies that they used uh, in that culture to drive out illness and things of that. They're relying on their own strength and their own power, and so often uh, we do that as well. Uh, that little thing that comes into our life known as pride that keeps us from admitting that we need someone else's help, that we need to consult with another person or that we need to consult uh, with God's words or that we need to depend upon Him. And as they come down the mountain before, uh, <clears throat> before the scribes could even answer Jesus, the, the man steps forward. And, he, and he, he tells them what has happened and how they brought uh, their son to him and, 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 and the disciples failed. Then I thought just how many times uh, we as leaders in the church fail and how many times people look to the leaders and are disappointed when the leaders fail. <clears throat> you know, we, are, we continually read about something that disappoints us. You know, whether it be a moral failure or whatever it be, it's something that disappoints us. So I thought he was better than that. 
You know, I, you know, and the trust is because our trust has been in the leader and not focused upon God that he's pointing us towards. But Jesus never fails. Jesus comes and he says, you know, and he begins to kind of talk with them about, <coughs> you know, how long, <laughs> basically, how, you're not going to have me forever. How long? I've, I've been teaching you and teaching you, and, uh, and here this task um, you can't do. But I, I like, and I, I kind of uh, want to focus, because you know, it's so easy in passages like this to get caught up in the demonology and the things that are going on and how that's different from our generation, that we miss the obvious lessons that are, that are in the passage. Um, you know, and, and one is, is that even the disciples failed, in, in trying to imitate Christ. And the other is Jesus never fails. And then uh, when, when he brings, um, when the, the father brings his son, you know, Jesus is saying, if it's, you, what do you mean if it is possible? Uh, if it is possible, if it's possible, if you believe. All things are possible if you believe. And so the man says, I believe. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Probably one of the most transparent, most refreshing passages in the Bible. Does that characterize you? It does me. I have faith on one hand and doubt on the other hand. I praise God uh, uh, I trust with my lips, but I doubt with my actions. And so oftentimes that characterizes our life, that um, confliction that we have. I believe, but wait a minute, God, let me see what I can do here. Mainly we run out of patience, in my case anyway. Um, patience runs short put my action into plan. And so he's, so Jesus set, shows him and says, uh, not really, not saying that we can do anything, uh, but it's something that is in God's will for it to be done. There was faith in his hearts, but also those doubts. And so Jesus commanded the spirit to come out of the boy and to never to return uh, to him. Then, then, of course, as we would expect, after the disciples witness all of that, standing by thinking, we could have done that. <laughs> We've done that before. All right, Jesus, now what? What did we do wrong? Uh, how can uh, how can we do the how could, would it, why would it not come out for us? And so that subtle form of unbelief that they had that encouraged them to trust in themselves rather than God. They had to realize that the power of God must be sought every time that they go out to serve him and in his name. And I think 
so much about the work here as we pray for Hunter and for Reed and Jeff as they engage our community in ministry. It's not by their power. It's not by their knowledge, though they have plenty of that. It's not by their experience, though there's a lot of that as well. It's all in Jesus' hand. It's all, it's not in, it's not in methods and in programs and in locations. It's in looking to Jesus and seeing him provide. And he says to them, this was real simple. It can only come out by prayer. Prayer is the last thing. For, for whatever reason, it's the last thing many people cons- consider when it maybe ought to be the first thing that we consider. But it's often the last thing, and sometimes people say to it, and sometimes I'll get, people will ask me, you know, I'll ask, well, what can I do for you? And they're like, well, I don't know, just pray, I guess. <laughs> you know, just pray, I guess. I don't know what you could do. And I'm like, hey, all right, let's pray. Let's pray about that thing. Uh, Let's pray not for my will, but for God's will, because maybe I want a different outcome. Maybe I want something completely different. But I think if we find that if we are uh, delighting ourselves in God and His Word, if we are seeking to uh, follow Him, to obey Him, then our desires begin to match up, and our desires are not in conflict with what um, God wants. But I think the key to understanding these two passages together uh, is, is something that the church uh, needs desperately to hear today is that, you know, we, there's that contrast between the mountaintop and the valley. And, you know, we'll, we can walk out here later. It's a nice day. Um, it's not as hot, it's not as humid as it's been in the past. There are people out this morning as I parked. There are people riding their bikes all over the place. There are people out on the uh, square there. Uh, there's a lot of nice activities going on that kind of looks like a Norman Rockwell painting or something. That You know, this is the idyllic uh, hometown USA. But beneath the surface where we live, is the valley of chaos. It's the internal conflict, it's the internal turmoil that we don't talk about. Because I, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to post pictures of myself on social media, um, but if I did, it would probably be uh, of me going somewhere. You know, look at me, and, you know, my sailboat behind me. Look at me, I'm at the beach, you know, that kind of thing. I'm like, that doesn't tell the story. And I'd probably try to smile in that picture, and it would all try to look good, but we really walk out of here into a troubled world. And, and just, just an example, I mean, I, was, I sat down at, at work this, uh, this week in a break room to have lunch, and, uh, and some ladies came in, and they sat down and, you know, I, I guess they knew each other real well because and probably had lunch together a lot, but, but they're sitting in. And somehow, you know, the, the discussions about uh, 
one lady's mom. And, you know, basically what a horrible, you know, <laughs> horrible mom she had. Uh, and, and she was being raised. And then, and, then, and then she went on to say something about the church that her, her parents made her go to. And then she said, well, did anybody, is anybody else in here ever, did they, did y'all grow up in church? And they were like, oh, yeah, gosh. You know, we grew up in church and, and, you know, and they went on bemoaning all the terrible things that they experienced uh, as kids. And then, and then one of them said, there's not a thing that I miss about church. Now I'm talking to somebody who's got teenage kids, so it kind of helps you figure out, oh, I don't miss anything about church. And I, and I don't know yet. I will find out because I want to hear her story. Not to judge her or to tell her that there are good churches around or to, you know, but I want to hear. And, and, and there's probably a lot of pain behind that statement. That probably doesn't have anything to do with the people at the church or the worship content or anything like that. But there's pain. That's the world that we walk into. The world in it, that I believe is portrayed in this passage, yeah, there's, there's that. There's the transfiguration. There's the mountaintop experiences. There's a place where we come and we feel close to God. But the majority of our time, like the disciples, like the majority of the disciples stayed behind in the valley dealing with the ugliness around them, just like we do. We live in the valley. Our church ministers in the valley. We're planting a work in the valley, no matter how good that it looks. We walk out the door and, and just be aware of what is around us. Uh, I found a quote this week that I thought was real interesting. I'm not familiar with the man. I tend to find out more about him. His name is Bob Roberts. He's the founder of Multi-Faith Neighbors Network. But he, he makes a statement that a church that does not understand the world is a church that, not, that cannot faithfully serve and engage the world with love, with the love of Jesus. And he went on to say that a church that doesn't gain, a church doesn't gain anything when they pine for some misremembered bygone era when Christianity was almost the only shop in town. We're called to serve in the valley. We are called the Christian life as a balancing act between both experiences in our lives. God's will, that we glorify God and enjoy Him forever, we glorify God with the way we live our lives and the people we engage in um, in, in our lives as well. And so I, I ch- um, trust you, I challenge you today to look uh, at the prayer or at, the, at the, the opportunity that's there in the valley where we live. Uh, it's sin's curse. But Jesus said that demons that the, the disciples couldn't drive out were only done by prayer. And so maybe as you become aware of the valley, maybe the first order of business is to learn and to devote ourselves to prayer. And Father, I praise you this morning and I thank you 
for the word that you have preserved to your glory, that it's here for us to examine in many translations and many manuscripts that we can go back and look and learn uh, much more so than others. But here, <clears throat> you've preserved a word, and, and we still get to, to meet and assemble in, in this country and to praise your name. And there's so many things that we're afforded opportunity-wise that others have no idea of. And Lord, may we be generous with our spirit, generous with our, our care and concern. Uh, may we be focused upon on serving you and worshiping you and not upon the things um, that we would like to have and see. I pray that uh, this morning that as we contemplate these things that you would challenge every one of us and uh, bring people to mind that um, that would be around us that we could worship uh, that we could bring and and uh, to lead and, and by our lifestyle our examples uh, just our care uh, for our neighbor as well and I pray and ask these things in Jesus name amen